0: It's 1962, and in the Canadian Rockies, American climbers Yvonne Schonard and Doug Tompkins are taking on a formidable challenge, the north face of Mount Temple. At 11,600 feet, the mountain towers over Lake Louise. The north face is its coldest, iciest, and most unforgiving side. And that's exactly why Chouinard and Tompkins want to conquer it. Tompkins stretches his arm over his head and grabs the ledge above. He tightens his grip and starts probing with his right leg for a foothold. But the moment he finds his target, Chouinard shouts at him from below. Rock! Tompkins immediately presses his body against the mountain's hard rock face. A split second later, a football-sized lump of limestone hurtles past him, headed for the valley floor several thousand feet below. After two more hours of treacherous climbing, Tompkins and Chouinard stopped for the night and pitched their tent on a snowy ledge halfway up the mountain. This might be their first climb together, but from the moment they met, it was clear they were kindred spirits. Both of them loved being outdoors, living free and off the grid. They called themselves dirtbags, climber slang for adventurers devoted to scaling mountains. They lie in their sleeping bags, exhausted and about to drop off, when Chunard suddenly sits up. You hear that? The, the wind's picking up. The two open the front of the tent and peer out into the moonlit sky. In the distance, they can see a storm, and it's heading right for them. Tompkins gulps. Not good, not good. We need to get out of here. He's right. Their tent is on an exposed ledge that's vulnerable to avalanches. They've got to get off this mountain before the storm hits. They race to pack their tent and begin their escape. They take turns leading the dark descent, relying completely on each other to find a safe route down. They know that just one mistake could be fatal. Rock crumbles beneath their feet. Stiff, cold wind blasts their faces. Thunder rumbles ever closer cotton shirts under their jackets grow damp with sweat. Finally, as the sun begins to rise, the spent duo reach the foot of the mountain. They fail to conquer the North Face, but they've made it out alive. The close call deepens their bond. A bond between two climbers who will soon turn their dirtbag lifestyles into rival businesses. Patagonia and the North Face, two companies that will turn mountain gear into everyday wear while also challenging the very way business is done. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business and be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL, that's 877-ASK-DELL, and speak with a Dell Technologies Advisor today. Louisiana has unmistakably unique culture, world-class cuisine, and the nation's top-ranked workforce development program. This incredible state's business environment is powerful, rich, and diverse. It's the gateway to 38 states and the world with a port system delivering the most domestic cargo in the U.S. It's also where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will transport the first women to the moon. Discover Louisiana's investment resources at OpportunityLouisiana.com to learn how your company can gain a competitive advantage in Louisiana. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. In our new series we follow the trail blazed by two of the biggest names in outdoor apparel, the North Face and Patagonia. Today, these giants of outdoor attire boast combined revenues of nearly $4 billion a year, and their clothes are as common on city streets as mountain slopes. But their story is about way more than dollars earned. It's also the story of two companies with shared roots— and their battle to stay true to the values they were founded on. But when these two companies took their first steps in the 1960s, mountaineering was a niche hobby. No one imagined mountain wear would become a fashion staple. The outdoor industry was run by people who just wanted to make enough scratch to fund their next expedition. This is Episode 1, Dirtbags. It's 1964, and Doug Tompkins fumbles for change in a telephone booth in downtown San Francisco. He pops a dime into the slot, dials the operator, and asks to be connected with Yvonne Schonard's home in Burbank, California. Connecting you now, sir. Tompkins drums his fingers and mutters to himself, Please be home. Please be home. Please be home. Chouinard residence. Yvonne speaking. Yvonne, I'm on a payphone, so I can't talk long, but... I'm starting a business, a mail-order business, selling high-quality climbing and hiking gear. It's going to sell everything serious outdoorsmen need so people can get everything they want in one place. Yeah, Sounds cool. What are you calling it? The North Face. Seemed appropriate after Mount Temple. Hmm. Good name. But Tompkins wants more than Schonard's approval. He needs products for the North Face to sell. And for that, he needs Schonard. You see, Chouinard's not just a climber, he's also a blacksmith. Back in 1957, he bought a secondhand hammer and anvil, and ever since, he's been making and selling climbing pitons. Pitons are the pegs climbers hammer into rock faces to support their ascents. Most pitons are made from soft iron, which means they break if pulled out of the rock. But Chouinard's pitons are different. He makes his from steel, and because they're steel, They're strong enough to reuse. Chouinard's been selling them on a small scale, but now Tompkins wants his new retail venture to stock them. So I I wanted to ask, will you sell me your pitons at a wholesale price so I can put them in our catalog? Sure, sure. How many do you need? I'm thinking maybe if we went... um... Sir, this is the operator. Your three minutes are up. Ah, damn, my money's run out. Yvonne, I'll mail you our first order. Bye. But Tompkins isn't the only one about to turn his love of climbing into a paycheck. And that's because Schonard's transforming his piton-making sideline into a proper business. It's 1965, and in Ventura, California, a craggy-faced landlord unlocks the padlock on a chain-fence gate and pulls it aside. He turns to Yvonne Schonard and his climbing pal Tom Frost and beckons them inside. Eh, this way. The two climbers follow the landlord through the grounds of a now-abandoned slaughterhouse. Shunard and Frost are here searching for a home for their new business, Shunard Equipment. Last fall, they wowed the tight-knit climbing world by making the first ascent of the near-vertical North American wall of El Capitan in Yosemite. And ever since, there's been a rising tide of climbers mailing Shunard with orders for his steel pitons. So now, Chouinard and Frost are out to tap into that demand by starting a business that designs, makes, and sells pitons and other climbing hardware. They're not after riches. They just want a few more dollars to fund their climbing trips. They also want to be based somewhere where they can lay down their tools and head to the beach whenever the surf's up. This sleepy beachside town is perfect. They both stomp through the premises after the landlord. Shunard's a short, muscular guy with a determined look on his face. Frost follows behind. He's beanpole thin, with a crew cut that accentuates his ears. The landlord leads them to the ramshackle building that used to be the slaughterhouse boiler room. It's about the size of a small store and made out of corrugated tin. Well, boys, here it is. Like I told you, it ain't much, but it's cheap. Schonard and Frost step inside the tin shed. It's gloomy, it's small, the roof probably leaks, and the ground's uneven. And it's exactly what they're looking for. A dirtbag home for a dirtbag company. Within weeks, Chunard's moved his blacksmith gear into the shed, and Schonard equipment is in business. Not that Schonard considers himself an entrepreneur— he sees himself as a craftsman, an artisan, who makes climbing equipment the traditional way, with a hammer and an anvil. It's like the Industrial Revolution never happened. All the same, Schonard's timing is spot on. In the mid-60s, climbing is still a niche hobby, but it's growing. More and more people are looking to reconnect with nature by heading outdoors to hike and climb. Nowhere is that trend more evident than in the San Francisco Bay Area. And that's inspired Schonard's buddy Doug Tompkins to move the North Face from a mail-order operation run from his kitchen table and into brick and mortar. It's October 1966, and in San Francisco's North Beach neighborhood, an opening party for the North Face store is underway. This store might be new to this bohemian corner of the city, but it fits right in with the radical bookstores, beat poets, and strip joints that define it. In the North Face's window is a huge poster of Bob Dylan. At the door, two Hell's Angels stand flowering in sleeveless denim shirts. Inside, a hot new local band is playing live. They call themselves the Grateful Dead. As women in flowing gypsy-style dresses and beatnik guys in roll-neck jumpers sway to the music, Doug Tompkins hands out glasses of wine. He's having a great time, even though no one's paying attention to the sleeping bags, tents, pitons, and ropes on display. But he wouldn't have it any other way. You see, just like Yvonne Chouinard's climbing hardware business, Tompkins didn't start the North Face to get rich. For him, it's about embracing the outdoors lifestyle. And for Tompkins, that lifestyle always comes first. It's spring, 1967, and in the North Face store, a customer is checking out the store's sleeping bags while Tompkins watches the clock from behind the counter. Work days seem to last forever. Excuse me, I'm going climbing in Castle Rock, Colorado, and I need a new bag. Which do you recommend? Tompkins looks at the customer with envy. Since opening the store, he's spending more time helping others pick out climbing gear and scaling mountains himself. Well, for maximum warmth, you want to go with the Model 200. If you want lightweight, it's the Model 100. Thanks, I'll take the 100. It's going to be a great trip. We're thinking of doing the athlete's feet route. You know, the one Royal Robbins did. The North Face founder zones out as the customer jabbers away. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. The store was supposed to subsidize a life of climbing. Instead, it's just become... A job. Something's got to change. And then he has an idea that makes a smile creep across his face. It's time to dump the North Face. A few weeks later, Tompkins sells his store to two brothers for $50,000. Not bad for a one-store business that's struggling to break even. The brothers opened two more North Face stores in the Bay Area, only to find they can't cover the costs. The demand just isn't there. America's yet to discover its passion for outdoor sports. A year later, after losing $60,000, the company's up for sale again. And in May 1968, they find a buyer, an ambitious Stanford MBA named Hap Klump. He pays $60,000 for the North Face. This former high school quarterback's got a plan, a plan that will transform the North Face from just another dirtbag outdoor store into the flag bearer of a new industry. But while the North Face's new owner is settling in, the company's founder is enjoying his return to dirtbag life. It's June 1968, and Tompkins is spending the day with Chouinard surfing on Ventura Beach. Tompkins squats down on the board as seawater sprays his tan torso. He rides the wave to the shore, puts his board under his arm and jogs across the warm golden sand to where Chouinard is sitting. Chouinard barely acknowledges his return. He's too engrossed in the book he's reading. Tompkins flops onto the beach towel next to Chouinard rolls on his back and puts his hands behind his head to look up at the blue sky. What's that you're reading, Yvonne? Conquerors of the Useless by Lionel Terray. It tells the story of how he made the first ascent of Mount Fitzroy in Patagonia back in 52. He says it was his greatest and toughest climb. Fitzroy's only been climbed one time since then. The mention of Patagonia brings a smile to Tompkins' lips. He went to that vast, mysterious Argentine wilderness a few years back. Patagonia is amazing, Yvonne. You'd love it. What a challenge Fitzroy would be. That's a great idea. We could drive the whole way, make it a real adventure. You know, surf in Mexico, ski in Chile, eat the local foods, drink the local spirits. <laughs> yeah, that too. We could also film it, make a movie out of it. We'll need what? Six months? The smile on Chouinard's face vanishes. Doug, I've got responsibilities now, a business to run, and you've got a kid. The two go quiet, annoyed by reality's intrusion on their daydreaming. But they're thinking the same thing. Screw business, screw responsibility. Tompkins is the first one in the water. We're going to do this, right? Yeah, we are. They are adventurers. Dirtbags. And responsibilities? (laughs) Well, they're just another obstacle to overcome. By sunset, their minds are made up. They're leaving for Patagonia. And it's going to be the adventure of a lifetime. An adventure that will transform them. And in time, the world of fashion. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO, go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's July, 1968, and in Ventura, California, Doug Tompkins and Yvonne Chouinard are loading the final batch of supplies into a grubby, cream-colored Ford Econoline van. It's been a busy couple of weeks since they dreamt up their plan to go to Patagonia. Chouinard's persuaded his business partner, Tom Frost, to run Chouinard equipment in his absence. They've also recruited two pals to join them on their six-month trip and christened their gang the Fun Hogs. After packing the van with food, skis, clothes, reels of film, tents, and sleeping bags, they strap their surfboards to the roof. Tompkins checks the handwritten list of supplies and equipment. Yep, that's everything. We're ready to roll. Just then, Tompkins' wife Susie reaches into her bag and pulls out a red bedsheet. One more thing. This. Tompkins unfurls the bedsheet and grins. Painted in big white letters on the sheet are the words, Viva Los Fun Hogs. After Tompkins kisses his wife and baby daughter goodbye, the Fun Hogs pile into the van, start the engine, and head south. A week later, they're surfing in Mexico. In Guatemala, they get questioned at gunpoint by soldiers who think they're CIA agents. In Costa Rica, an erupting volcano forces them to flee at high speed as ash rains down and turns their surfboards black. In Peru, they ski sand dunes the size of hills before heading to Chile to carve the powder on a snow-covered volcano. Then, it's on to Patagonia, where civilization vanishes in the rearview mirror and the road fades into rocks and weeds. Soon, the gnarly 11,000-foot summit of Mount Fitzroy looms into view. Storm clouds shroud the mountain, and angry, bone-chilling winds rip through the valley below. They carve out a cold, wet, and cramped ice cave at the base of the mountain to shelter from the wind and rain. They spend weeks in the cave, waiting for a break in the weather. Endless days spent in damp sleeping bags, recounting stories and playing cards. Then, late one evening, Tompkins steps out of the cave. The skies are finally clear. He turns to his fellow fun hogs. This is it, guys, the moment we've been waiting for. Time to get ready. The fun hogs know the clear skies won't last, so they start the ascent at 2.30 in the morning under the cover of darkness. They hammer chunard steel pitons into the rock and haul themselves higher and higher. They squeeze their way up between gaps in the rock face. Their spiked crampons bite into the mountainside as they ascend. They climb for hours, their sweat-drenched cotton and wool clothes sticking to their backs. And the only time they stop is to figure out the best route to the summit. When they finally crawl onto the peak, Almost 18 hours later, it's 8 p.m., and the sun is about to set. They look out triumphantly over hundreds of miles of uninhabited, arid scrubland. But then, Schonard narrows his eyes. Another storm is already rolling in. Don't think we can hang around for long. Look over there. Agreed. Let's get the final shot done fast. The team whips out their film camera and shoots footage of themselves unfurling the red Viva Los Funhogs banner. Then, after just 20 minutes at the top, they start their descent. After hours of rappelling down the mountain, they make camp for the night. They resume their descent at dawn. The gang battles fierce, icy storm winds, praying their rappel ropes will hold. Finally, at 11 a.m., the Fun Hogs make it back to their ice cave and collapse into their sleeping bags. A week later, the Fun Hogs are heading home. It's night, and Chouinard's at the wheel driving the van over the rough dirt roads of Patagonia. Tompkins sits in the passenger seat, staring mournfully out the window. It's changed. Chouinard glances at Tompkins. What's changed? Patagonia. See those lights in the distance? There were no lights at all when I first came here. Civilizations closing in. Hmm. Same all over, though. I mean, remember those tropical forests we passed in Peru? The ones that had been burned to the ground to clear land for farming? Tompkins nods. Yeah, I do. We're screwing up the world, man. The Silent Spring's coming. The two men go quiet, lost in thoughts about the destruction of the natural world. It's December, 1968, and after six months away, the Fun Hogs van finally rolls into Ventura, California. Chouinard climbs out, unloads his gear, and waves goodbye to the gang. He stands and stares as the van disappears around the corner. He might be home but he feels different. The trip to Patagonia has opened his eyes to how the natural world he loves is being degraded. From now on, he vows, he will live his life in the least environmentally harmful way possible. And that applies to his climbing hardware business, Shunard Equipment, too. But it won't be long before his new values put his business in jeopardy. On the next episode, backpacking mania seizes America. The North Face piggybacks on winter sports, and Chouinard challenges the North Face with his own outdoor wear business, Patagonia. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening right now. There's a link on the episode notes. Just tap or swipe over the cover art. And you'll also see some offers from our sponsors. We hope you'll support our show by supporting them. Hey, if you like what you've been listening to, it would be great if you could give us a five-star rating. And don't forget to tell your friends how to subscribe. There's another way you can support us, and that's by answering a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. And tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. We should say something about the conversations in this episode. We can't know exactly what was said at the time, but this dialogue is based on our best research. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Patagonia and the North Face, we recommend the film Mountain of Storms, as well as Let My People Go Surfing by Yvonne Chouinard and Conquering the North Face by Hap Klopp. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer Beckman and Marshall Louie, Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondery.
1: Looking for the hottest takes and the spiciest celebrity gossip? Look no further. Welcome to Rich and Daily, the all-new podcast from Wondery that's gonna bring you up to speed on all of Hollywood's most current secrets and scandals. Need to know what Harry and Meghan are up to? What's the latest in Britney's conservatorship hearing? We've got you covered. I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams, and along with my bestie and fellow celeb news fanatic, Brooke Sifrin, we're bringing you the latest entertainment gossip every Monday through Friday. Is that rumor you heard about Rihanna true? If it is, you better believe we'll have something to say about it. So if you want to be in the know about who's been seen with whom and who's in and who's out, Join us on Rich and Daily, because we don't just listen to the rumor mill. We give you the celebrity facts as they happen. Listen to Rich and Daily on Amazon Music, or you can listen to episodes ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. With Rich and Daily, feel the gossip. Wondery, feel the story.